from Montana for Montana. It's Voices of Montana. Hi, I'm Tom Schultz, host of the program. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and please contact me here for show suggestions or comments at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. All right, this will be fun. It'll be informative. We start with the question, how much sleep do you get? And then you go, is that enough? What are those answers? I'm curious about those answers. Do you get enough sleep? What about your kids? Do they get enough sleep? And then what happens when they don't get enough sleep? And then you don't get enough sleep? Uh, Dr. Kara Palmer is going to be with us here today from Montana State University. Recently concluded a a sleep study. I mean, it's pretty extensive looking back at 50 years. It's a meta-analysis study. Going to answer some of those questions as much, but... Just like every study, there's more questions, it seems, than it raises. So we'll talk about that as we uh, find uh, where we can rest in, in our world today. Studies and projects have been going on at the Montana State University Sleep and Development Lab. Also on the agenda today for a Friday on Voices of Montana. Yeah, are we going to be doing this all hour? I think we should like snoring sound effects and uh, <laughs> these songs, these rock and roll songs that say, baby, baby, let me sleep on it. And uh, we've got a lot of things here to discuss, though. So uh, thank you guys for being here. It is a Friday. Welcome alongside. Uh, we're two decades strong and working on three and only two more working days this week. Really, really happy. about. no, uh, do we catch up on the weekends? Do we Can we even catch up on our sleep? That's uh, that's another question. Kara Palmer, Dr. Kara Palmer is with us here. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Palmer, thank you for being here. Appreciate that. I'm going to get into this study. Um, I've been kind of peeling in, into it a little bit. A lot of questions, a lot of interesting things here, too, about it. And, and also, you know, the study itself over 50 years. Man, it um, there's some revealing things. But did it, what did it reveal? I mean, we I think we all kind of seem to know if I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not going to be at my best. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, I think kind of the emotional effects of sleep loss is kind of intuitive for a lot of people because we've all been there. We've all lost sleep. We've all felt terrible the next day. Um, but looking at the research that's happened over the last 50 years, um, findings were somewhat inconsistent. So it wasn't totally clear exactly how it was impacting our mood. Um, so we were able to, myself and my colleagues, um, essentially take all of this research that's been done across labs across the world and combine all of the data together to start asking um, more specific questions. So does it matter what type of sleep loss? Like, is it that you're up all night? Is it that you only sleep a little bit, but not quite enough? Is it that you're waking up a lot throughout the night? And then also look at different types of effects in terms of um, our type of mood. So is it that we feel bad and grumpy? Is it that we feel um, just not good, like less positive? Um, Is it that we react to things differently when they happen? Um, And so we were able to start to look at some of those specifics because at the end of the day, you know, there's always going to be days where we don't get enough sleep. And so understanding how we're affected can um, be important just to know in terms of how to navigate your day um, when you're approaching um, situations after a bad night of sleep. Yeah. And, and it and becomes so, a, a public health issue, too. And I, and I appreciate that. Dr. Kara Palmer, again, mm-hmm. Montana State University professor, but director of the Sleep and Development Lab and co-director of the MSU Sleep Research Lab and principal investigator here. Uh, I, I kind of asked you this in jest when we were chatting before the show, but do you get enough sleep? I, I It depends on the day. So um, I certainly try to prioritize it, you know, doing what I do. I understand its importance, but um, I also have a toddler. 
So it it really sometimes is completely out of my control, and it's <laughs> up to her more or less. Um, and I know we were joking a little bit before as well about how um, research is me cert. So I certainly have like a personal investment in this topic as well. So I've um, experienced many of these things firsthand. What jumps out? What jumps out of this? Uh, and 154 studies over 50 years. Does anything really yeah. jump out? Yeah. So one thing that we found that, um, you know, it, it kind of mimicked some findings that I had in some other studies in my lab. Um, but I think surprises people is that um, really the biggest, a fact that we found after people had a night of bad sleep, um, it's really our positive emotions and our positive mood that was most strongly impacted. So after people lose sleep, um, you know, it's not necessarily that we don't feel grumpy and irritable because that certainly does happen for some people, but really it seemed to be like the most consistent and reliable finding was that we just don't feel good. So if you're thinking about when positive things happen, um, just our ability to feel good about that and excited, it's just not there. Um, and generally, too, what we found is that when people experience emotional events, uh, those feelings that you get in your body when you're, like, really excited um, and you kind of feel it in your chest or your stomach, those feelings just weren't there. So it's really that our emotional responses are kind of muted overall. Um, And so this kind of mimics, like, if you think about, um, like, depression and how people just don't feel positive emotions, we call that anhedonia in psychology. Um, It really kind of mimics those effects. The um, Um, Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say the other um, kind of main finding that we found is that also people just feel more anxious, um, kind of regardless of what's happening. We just kind of have this underlying feeling of anxiety as well. So those were kind of our our bigger findings, I would say. And there's um, because there was so much data, we were a lot able to look at a lot of um, other types of relationships too to start thinking about like the type of sleep loss, but those, you know, this effect on our positive emotions and kind of a muted, muted emotional responses and anxiety. Those are really kind of the big take home messages, I would say. Yeah. And can we, um, I'm going to ask about that as well, because, you know, can we recover sleep? Uh, will, uh, will we, how long does it take to, uh, and I guess it's hard uh, because you noted that in this study. As well, and what I appreciate about this study is is the the critical analysis this study took of all the other studies out there uh, to to make sure that you were you were coming up with some findings that were um, you know usable, so to speak. And here, it, 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 the very first sentence to me is very telling about our society, and it starts out in a largely sleep deprived society. Um, are, is that us? Is that us? It unfortunately is. Mm. So with adults, you know, more than 30% of adults um, generally are not getting enough sleep. And that's within the United States. That's worldwide. Um, So this is certainly something that's really common. Um, If we look at uh, younger populations as well, um, so teenagers, for example, depending on the study, it's anywhere from 70 to 90% of teenagers aren't getting enough sleep. Um, so this is certainly something that a lot of people are dealing with every single day. Um, and I think this question of, well, if you have a night where you don't get enough sleep, can you recover from that? And how do you recover from that? I think that's a really important question yeah. um, because it has 
pretty big implications for what we actually do when this happens, since it is happening so often for so many people. Um, and, you know, we weren't able to look at that specifically in this study, um, just because there's not as much research that has looked at what happens after a night of bad sleep or multiple nights of bad sleep. Um, but there were a handful of studies that did look at this. Um, and so I can just talk generally about those findings and that suggests that you can recover. It might take a couple days to kind of get back to your baseline, um, and so if you have a week, um, and again, a lot of times this is out of, out of people's control, maybe you have a week where you just have a lot of deadlines at work, um, maybe, you know, talking from personal experience, you have a toddler who just decides they don't want to sleep that week, mm. whatever the reason is, um, you know, can you catch up on the weekends? And that's what a lot of people, um, typically do, right? They have this kind of catch up sleep on the weekends. And um, generally, you know, making up for that sleep loss can be helpful. But uh. one thing about sleep is that it's also really important to keep your sleep at consistent times. And so you have to be kind of careful in terms of how you make up for that sleep loss. So, you know, if you are going Monday through Friday and you're not sleeping enough, um, you know, each of those nights during the week, um, you don't want to then sleep in an extra two, three hours on the weekends because then what you're doing is you're actually affecting um, all of your like circadian rhythms, which can lead to some other adverse effects. So it's it's kind of tricky. You want to be able to feel well rested, but without completely derailing your sleep schedule at the same time. You know, as a, as a sleep expert, you'll probably get a lot of these questions, too, about you know, um, how long should I take a power nap or, uh, you know, how do I best get to sleep or, you know, melatonin, does it really work or um, can I sleep too hard sometimes? There's People just have a lot yeah. of general questions about all these things. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've certainly gotten a lot of those. And I think, um, you know, I think a, a, a well-timed power nap can be very effective if it if it's necessary. Um, again, you want to be careful to make sure that you're not also then disrupting your sleep in ways that could be problematic. Um, so, for example, like you don't want to necessarily take a nap in the evening because then it might be hard to fall asleep again that night. Um, and so typically I say like naps are fine, but just make sure that, um, you know, you're doing it in ways that won't completely disrupt your sleep schedule moving forward. Um, and yeah, I mean, melatonin is, is a big one and we've seen a huge increase in, um, the number of people taking melatonin and also, you know, children taking melatonin as well. Mm. I hear from a lot of parents that have their kids take, you know, melatonin gummies every night and they want to make sure that it's okay. Um, is it? And it's, it's complicated. Um, what's unfortunately, Fortunately, is the, the answer for, for many of these questions. Um, I With melatonin, one thing that is different about the United States compared to a lot of the rest of the world is that melatonin is not um, uh, regulated here. So they've done some studies that have looked at like the over-the-counter melatonin here in the United States. And what they found is that the dosage that is listed on a lot of the bottles, um, it just really varies pretty widely in terms of whether or not it's accurate. And even within the same bottle, sometimes you can have um, widely different dosage. Wow. Um, and they've also found traces of things like serotonin in some of um, the melatonin um, uh, pills as well. Mm. So 
So that's kind of just a caveat, I would say, whereas in other countries, it tends to be something that you need a prescription for. And so it's much heavily regulated. So if you know if you're getting two milligrams, you know you're getting two milligrams, whereas that's not necessarily the case here. Um, that being said, you know, occasional use is probably okay. And I, you know, um, especially for situations where, again, it might be periodic and out of your control. Like if you're traveling, for example, um, and dealing with jet lag, melatonin can be helpful for that. But again, with the caveat, knowing that just because what you're taking says it's a certain dosage, it might not be. Um, And then with um, children as well, we don't know a lot about the long-term effects of children taking melatonin um, and how that affects them when they're kind of undergoing a lot of physical development, if that might alter that. So I always give people kind of that a caveat that um, there could be some potential side effects. Um, and typically what I see is that when parents are giving their children melatonin, that's usually because there's kind of ongoing sleep issues. Yeah. And oftentimes those issues um, can be handled in other ways. So maybe it's that they have an underlying sleep disorder and they just need to be assessed by a doctor to see if there's other potential treatment options um, or, you know, a lot of sleep problems. Um, for children and adults too, actually, um, really are behavioral. Um, they're things that can be treated um, it, using um, pretty well-established and reliable therapeutic methods, um, uh, kind of similar to some psychiatric treatments like cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and those tend to be very effective. So when a parent says that they're, they're giving their child melatonin or they're t- taking melatonin, frequently. Um, usually I just want to ask more about the type of sleep problems they're having because there's usually other options. Um, and then melatonin feels like a, a quick fix, but um, it's not necessarily something that can be, um, uh, you know, always effective. And again, there might be some other potential side yeah. effects. And it's 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 naturally produced in the body, which is why I think people kind of uh, understand it or accept it a little bit more than some of these other maybe sleep methods. You know, I'm, I, we got a lot of questions here, and I appreciate that. Going to dig more into this because we want to know more about how it does affect um, our youth as well. Uh, how sleep is done around the rest of the world. What do we know? Dr. Kara Palmer is with us here from Montana State University. Back with more in a bit. Hey, parents. Does it seem like your kiddos always get sick at the worst times? Recently, my daughter came down with a bad cold over the weekend, but I didn't feel like it warranted an expensive ER visit. That's when I remembered about Montana Pediatrics. Within minutes, I was able to connect with a Montana-based pediatric provider. We got great care, a thoughtful treatment plan, and didn't even have to leave home. Learn how Montana Pediatrics can support your family at montanapediatrics.org. On the Northern News Network, thank you for joining us. All our affiliates across the state appreciate that. A special hello to uh, friends in Livingston, Montana, 1340 AM KPRK. Cody, Cody Ross, Cody from the Badlands, our Institute engineer, he, he needs a little bit of music. He needs uh, uh, some music and then some white noise. It helps him, he says, get to sleep. I'm not that way. I, I can sleep to a little bit of rock and roll and... Even, yeah, uh, you know, but I, then, then it's got to go away because I need some silence. Dr. Kara Palmer is our special guest here from Montana State University uh, and a uh, professor there, director of the Sleep and Development Lab and co-director of the MSU Sleep Research Lab. I wasn't, I, I really wasn't completely fully aware of all the work you guys are doing there, Dr. Palmer. Yeah, yeah, we've been pretty busy. Um, 
weekend, it's uh, myself and then there's some other um, pretty prolific researchers at MSU that are conducting a lot of great research on sleep. So lots of fun work going on. Let's go into the study. Um, You know, I could say it was sort of a meta-analysis and a a review of 50 years of, and and noted here, experimental research. So that even, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, putting that title on there is significant too. But how was it conducted or what was the basic uh, method? Yeah, so what we did is we went through um, the scientific literature. So we looked at every study that's ever been conducted on this topic. Um, And again, yeah, that's across about 50 years of research now. Um, And we were able to then take uh, participants from all of these different studies and combine data from all of these different studies across these 50 years to compare people who were um, experimentally forced to not sleep. So either they were kept awake all night um, or they were um, essentially given a sleep opportunity that just wasn't long enough. So instead of, you know, a full eight hours, maybe they only got six hours or four hours. Um, And uh, sleep fragmentation, which is essentially just waking people up periodically throughout the night. Um, and then in all of these studies, what they did is the next day, they looked to see how their, their mood was affected. Um, and so we were able to look at these different types of sleep loss to see if it really made a difference um, and then see how that affected their next day emotions. It's got to be hard to kind of quantify uh, mood. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why we kind of undertook this project. Mm-hmm. Um, Because a lot of studies did this pretty inconsistently. Um, So some people would say, okay, we looked at moods, but really if you looked at what they were measuring, it was, um, do you feel happy and excited and sad and irritable? And they kind of combined all of those together. But those are all very different feelings. Um, Or they'd look at, are you depressed and anxious um, without really differentiating those? And so we were able to... Um, kind of start to separate those out to really see where those effects are. And <clears throat> excuse me again. Um, what I know you talked about kind of what jumped out there, but um, I, I'm really curious about those emotional responses, uh, and especially as youngsters. I think you you focused quite a bit on on mm-hmm. youth. Um, maybe it's because we assume mm-hmm. adults have more tools to manage um, emotional stress, uh, just because maybe we're more experienced to it. Uh, but um, mm-hmm. what does that focus on on youth uh, tell you? Yeah, so most of the um, people that were in these studies, um, we had a pretty wide age range. So um, we had studies that had participants as young as seven years old and as old as I think 79 (laughs) was like the oldest average age. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that's interesting, though, is that we didn't find a lot of age effects. So we seemed it didn't really matter if we were looking at kids or teens or adults. Um, Sleep loss is negatively affecting everybody. Um, So while, you know, in theory, as we get older, we should have more skills to to start to manage this. Um, When people are sleep deprived, they may not be able to rely on those skills as much potentially. Um, So that's one thing that I think is pretty notable as well, that this this affected everybody. Um, And another thing we were able to look at as well, um, because we had so many different studies that you know, reduced people's sleep in a lot of different ways. We were able to actually look at, you know, does the amount of sleep loss matter? And 
even after really short periods of sleep loss, like just staying up an hour or two later than usual or just losing a couple hours of sleep, that was enough. Um, so it's not like you need to pull an all-nighter to feel these effects. It really can be um, after just some minor disruptions in your sleep. going to come on back and take a look at uh, some of these things that we do know about sleep or we think we do know about sleep. Dr. Kara mm-hmm. Palmer is with us here again, director of the Sleep and Development Lab and co-director of the MSU Sleep Research Lab. And there's there's a lot of um, uh, good research there. If you guys are curious about this, go to the uh, MSU page and it's Kara, C-A-R-A, Palmer, uh, and you'll and you'll find out a whole lot more there. We'll get into some of that other stuff that uh, you guys have have done there too. But uh, going to come on back and talk more. As I said, you know, what do we know? What are sleep cycles? And when you when you talk about sleep deprivation and then uh, sleep reduction and sleep fragmentation, those things that you studied, what leads into those things as well? Back with more. Banking doesn't stop because the weekend comes around or the sunset paints our big sky. We know you work hard for your money and need access to it 24-7, 365, wherever you are. Stockman Bank's online and mobile banking lets you live every single moment of your day with confidence to stay in touch with your money via smartphone, tablet, or desktop computer. See the difference banking with Stockman Bank makes for you. Stockman Bank, Montana's brand of banking. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. It's a sleep-deprived society. I, I, I think that stands out as, as pretty true. I'm, uh, You know, but there are good nights uh, we have as well, and maybe not not so good nights as well. Dr. Kara Palmer with us, Montana State University professor, director of the Sleep and Development Lab, and co-director of the MSU Sleep Research Lab. Talking about a study she authored, uh, it's uh, 50 years of experimental research and meta-analysis of that. Uh, and Dr. Palmer, again, thanks for, for being here and being our sleep expert. Uh, you know, uh, I think um, a lot of people, again, as we talk about how, how much, how curious we are about our sleep, what is, what is a good night's sleep? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And um, it seems like it should be simple to answer. <laughs> um, and up until now, we've talked mostly about just getting enough sleep. So just how long are you sleeping? And that's generally what people first initially think about, right? Everybody talks about, oh, you need your eight hours um, every night. And that certainly is a really important component to healthy sleep. Um, but there's also a lot of other um, aspects of our sleep that are just as important, if not more important sometimes, than how much sleep you're getting. Um, so when we think about what is healthy sleep, in addition to how much sleep you're getting, um, there's also questions of are you sleeping on a regular schedule? Um, so are you going to bed at a consistent time every night? Are you waking up at a consistent time every morning? Um, and that's something that um, in some cases might even be even more important. If you're getting enough sleep, that's great. But if it's not at consistent times, that can create a whole host of other issues. Um, so how regular your sleep is, is also very important. Um, also, what your sleep looks like throughout the night. So um, in the sleep field, we talk about something called sleep efficiency. And essentially, that means, like, how efficient of a sleeper are you? Like, when you're in bed, are you spending most of that time asleep or are you spending a lot of time awake in bed as well? And that can look a few different ways. So that could be, does it take you a long time to fall asleep? Are you laying awake, thinking, stressing, worrying about the next day? Um, Or are you waking up throughout the night? And if you do wake up, can you get yourself back to sleep? Um, So ideally, what we want to see is that if you're laying in bed, that you're spending, you know, I would say 90, 95% of that time should be asleep. Uh 
Um, also the timing as well. So each of us have our own individual circadian rhythms, um, and that differs a lot across people. So we have people who are night owls or extreme night owls or morning people. And are you sleeping at times that fit with your own rhythms? Um, and I think that's um, an important one as well. And I think oftentimes people force themselves into schedules that might not necessarily be in line with their own bodies. Um, and so making sure that you're sleeping at the right time can be important as well. Um, and then beyond that too, um, really just how we feel about our sleep seems to be important, like beyond all of these other aspects. So if people, if you wake up in the morning and you just feel like you're tired, regardless of how long you were asleep, if you stayed asleep, um, if you slept at the right time, like if you feel like your sleep isn't good quality, that's important in and of itself. And that kind of subjective perception seems to be important for a whole host of physical health, mental health outcomes, um, and, and so on. As you noted, it seems like there's a lot of reasons that we have sleep deprivation or, or sleep struggles uh, in, in this society. Mm-hmm. And and it's not necessarily for us to answer all those questions, but a study like this can lead into uh, some adjustments in society. Like, and, and we'll come on back and talk about that a little bit, about um, you know what time school starts and uh, how, how long people maybe should take a break throughout the day and um, uh, it, it's really good information for us because, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we depend on sleep. There's a reason we do it. Dr. Kara Palmer with us again and uh, this sleep study from Montana State University. Back with more Voices here in just a bit. Voices of Montana continues right after this. Ask any traveler. There's no other place in the world like the O'Hare Motor Inn. If your journeys take you to Charlie Russell country, stay where we do right in downtown Great Falls. The modern western hospitality of one of Montana's most famous motels. Great food at Clark and Louie's Pub and Grill and the legendary Sip and Dip Lounge. The O'Hare's unique Sip and Dip Tiki Lounge features a glass wall between the bar and the swimming pools. You can watch the mermaids swim while you sip your beverage. You've got to see it to believe it. The one-of-a-kind O'Hare Motor Inn in Great Falls. Thanks for being here. Hope you got a, a good weekend planned. I know a lot of friends are heading over to Frisco, Texas. If not yet, they're, they're there now. And Oh, geez, what kind of fun. Uh, go to the University of Montana website and, and uh, look at how they are celebrating there in Frisco, Texas. They'll have a, a, a big hoot nanny Saturday evening. The game is Sunday at noon. I believe it's on ESPN3. Um, I know kind of a, a weird time for that against South Dakota State. And like I said, you know, even though South Dakota State um, has been undefeated and ranked number one and then the you know, defending national champion, you, you give this Montana team, you know, three weeks to prepare for a game and, and uh, you're going to have a game. So I'm looking forward to that and good luck uh, to the Montana Grizzlies here this weekend. We're back with Dr. Kara Palmer, Montana State University professor, director of the Sleep and Development Lab and uh, the co-director of the MSU Sleep Research Lab. I, I kind of like sleep and development, Kara, uh, because uh, um, th- that seems to go hand in hand, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. And especially since we see so many children and teens um, not getting enough sleep, even more so than adults. Um, one big question that my lab has is, well, what are the long-term effects of that? Um, especially when we think about these times in development, when we know there's a lot of physical changes and neurological changes and lots of brain development taking place. Um, so if kids aren't getting enough sleep during those really important years, what does that mean for them long term? Can, can a study like this inform 
I know we're thinking it's individual. It's up to us. If, if our jobs demand this or if our lifestyle demands this, it's up to us to make those uh, changes. That's true. That's very true. That's the first step. But when you, when you look at this and it's noted kind of in your study a little bit, how it has an impact on our society about, um, what time we go to school and, and things like that. Can, can it inform, um, not only our individual behavior, but can it inform cultural behavior? I certainly hope so. And that's really one of my hopes with this research is that it will um, lead to some potentially like larger societal level changes as well. Um, and, you know, one thing that we find in some of our other research um, it, within my lab, I have a, a graduate student, Giovanni Alvarado, who just recently completed a study where he was really interested in these ideas of, okay, is this something that these are in, these individual choices and and in some ways, it seems like that's the case. Like we've uh, we've seen that you know people will say that sleep is important. They like getting a good night of sleep, but then when it comes down to it, um, they have so many other responsibilities. And if they're choosing between getting a project done for work or for school, um, or staying up and doing something that might be fun versus sleeping, usually sleep is what takes the back burner. And some of that might be up to the individual, um, but there's certainly a lot of societal reasons why that happens too. Um, I think just generally as a society, you know, work comes first. That tends to be what we prioritize. Um, I think as you were saying um, earlier too during the break, you know, like I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's a saying that people people have and some people really ascribe to that. Um, And so I think there's just kind of these cultural beliefs that like if you prioritize sleep, but that means you're not getting other things done, then um, that is almost looked at as a negative as opposed to seeing somebody really prioritizing their health. Um, I've heard people, you know, with the, the, the phrase too that you know not getting enough sleep it's like the new smoking right it's something that we know is bad for us but you know it's still hard to to kind of get out of that and we we do see you know there's also kind of beyond just like these attitudes and values we have as a society um sometimes our schedules just don't allow us to get enough sleep and we see that with you know teenagers in particular um you know high schools start so incredibly early um but at the same time with teenagers, they actually have this kind of biological shift that takes place where the melatonin that makes them feel sleepy actually gets released later in the night. Um, and so it's actually physically harder for teens to go to sleep at a time that would allow them to get enough sleep um, before waking up for school in the morning. And so we're really just not setting up um, people well uh, to get the sleep that they need. That's probably an important finding. Um, do people get too much sleep? People can certainly get too much sleep, um, and there's a number of studies that show that not getting enough sleep or getting too much sleep can be problematic. Um, we don't necessarily know if it's that getting too much sleep is, like, causing you to have other issues like mental health or physical health issues or if people are struggling in other ways. Um, potentially, it could be their body's way of trying to... Um, correct for that in some way. So it's not clear. It's like a the chicken or the egg type problem. But generally, if people are sleeping, you know, way more than what's recommended, that usually is a sign that there's something else going on, too, that could be potentially problematic. You know, I haven't bragged about you enough. Uh, and there's there's plenty of things to brag about here. Uh, um, 2019, the World Sleep Society, uh, 
awarded you the Early Investigator Award and also in 2020, um, the uh, Journal of Adolescent Health um, uh, named one of your studies amongst the uh, 10 best for for the year. So uh, I appreciate your expertise here on us and, and, um, and just, again, entertaining us about all these questions about sleep. I suppose you get the 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 you know what's the recommendation what because uh, we like um, we kind of like hard data we, we we like to know you know go to bed at nine o'clock and get up at four and you'll you'll be a rich man or a rich woman or a healthy person um, what are some mm-hmm. of those suggestions yeah so I think you know we've talked again a lot about how much sleep you're getting so I think following those recommendations and the National Sleep Foundation is a great resource for that if you're curious about how much sleep you're supposed to be getting based on your age. Um, because that does vary based on, um, you know, whether somebody is a kid, a teenager, an adult, or um, an older adult. And I think um, usually, you know, I say if you feel like you're not getting enough sleep um, or you feel like you're struggling with your sleep, there are a few pretty actionable things that you can try to implement in your day-to-day life that can be helpful Um, And that's usually a good kind of first step to see if that corrects the issue or if things start to feel better after that. Um, So some of that, again, just keeping a regular sleep sleep schedule. So, um, you know, if you feel like you're not getting enough sleep during the week, certainly try to catch up on that sleep, but not in a way that you're going to be, you know, sleeping in multiple extra hours in the morning that could throw off that kind of regularity of your sleep. Um, also, just maintaining um, some other health behaviors like being physically active, um, not drinking a ton of caffeine. Of course, I say this while I'm on my like third cup of coffee right now, but in theory, limiting caffeine and not having it too late in the day. Um, one thing that we see often is that when people start to struggle with their sleep is they might, um, you know, try like nightcaps, like having a drink before bed. Right. And that- usually helps you fall asleep, but it then actually affects your sleep in some other adverse ways. So that's usually not the best approach if, if you're struggling um, to sleep because you can create some other issues. Um, and also just having a comfortable sleep environment. So making sure that you are comfortable, whatever that looks like for you, everybody's different. Um, making sure that you you know, don't have random lights or noises that are waking you up throughout the night. Um, one is just keeping a, a good temperature in the room. So between like 67 and 69 degrees while you sleep is actually recommended. Um, and also just not doing things that make you feel anxious or stressed before bed, which I know is easier said than done um, for a lot of people, but trying to avoid that as much as possible. And then some other things as well that you can try is um, staying in more dimly lit rooms at night and not exposing yourself to bright light before bed and exposing yourself to sunlight or bright light first thing in the morning can be really helpful. Um, And then another suggestion that um, is very helpful if you have a hard time falling asleep or if you wake up throughout the night and have a hard time going back to sleep um, is just being very careful about what your um, kind of, uh, I would say, more unconscious associations are with your bed. So is your bed a place where you sleep or is it also a place where you watch TV or stress or worry? Um, and so really the associations that we have in our mind with our bed is going to affect our sleep. So if your bed is a place where you just sleep, then 
um, that's going to be a lot easier for you to fall asleep when it when the time comes. What about the subliminal noise? The um, I start off with a little bit of uh, well, whatever uh, my kind of music. Um, others will say that they start off with just basic um, lullaby kind of stuff, and and then will mm-hmm. transfer into some of this white noise. I I don't like my sleep being uh, interrupted like that. But does that help people? Um, white noise can certainly help some people, and I I think again everyone's a little bit different. Um, you know, generally with white noise, you want to be sure that it's not like so loud that it's actually disrupting your sleep. Um, and depending on your environment too, I mean, if you live in like a, a noisy apartment building, for example, or if you have a highway or, um, you know, train tracks behind your house, like things that can help drown out that um, extra noise could be very helpful as well. Um but one thing to keep in mind is that while we're sleeping, you even though you know we're asleep, it's not like things totally set off. On some level, we can still be aware of what's going on, even though we're asleep. And so, if there are noises, um, so you know, one thing I've heard from people is like they'll leave the TV on at night because it helps them sleep. And again, it might help you fall asleep, but that noise kind of going on in the background could be something that's still disrupting your sleep, even if you don't fully realize that it's disrupting your sleep. So, if you do have any noise on in the background, I would be sure that it's not something where you have. Um, you know, anything that uh, would be like changing a lot in like pitch or tone or anything like that. Understood. Um, findings. Mm-hmm. And this is again from uh, the study. And it's, it's the first page here, but I, I it, it is. I, I appreciated uh, uh, being able to look at this and, and see how you went about this study too. Um, findings provide in uh, uh, a foundation for future research on sleep. And I, I found that interesting. What, what is the direction of future research on sleep? Yeah, I think, you know, in relation to this particular study, um, you know, one important future direction is just understanding how this might be different for different people. Um, You know, eight hours for one person might be enough, but maybe it's not quite enough for another person. And so understanding those individual differences in sleep need and how much sleep we need, I think, is important. Um, Or if there's some, you know, groups of people who maybe would be more impacted than others. So, again, thinking more about age or um, does it matter if you're male or female or thinking more about those questions? Um, so some of our previous work has shown that, for example, people who just like generally feel more anxious to start with um, tend to be more adversely affected by sleep loss um, compared to people who don't have that tendency to be anxious. And so there's certainly some individual differences there. Got to ask a question about uh, the rest of the world here. And, and you know, is, is there a society out? Because I know it would probably vary greatly uh, depending on societies, but I'm sure there's going to be some um, common correlations here. But is there a society out there that's doing it right? Um, so there's certainly societies where you have like greater populations of individuals who get adequate sleep. Um, but generally, you know, across the world, we see that there's still large percentages of people who are struggling with their sleep. And, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the behaviors that maybe are in our control or as a result of society more broadly. Um, but at the end of the day, there's also a lot of sleep disorders that people have too. And that's something that kind of cuts across cultures. Um, and so with the recommendations, like ways to make your sleep environment better and to prioritize sleep, one thing I, I usually tell people is if you try those things and it's not working, it's certainly worth talking to your doctor to see if maybe there's something else going on, maybe something medical um, that could be leading to these issues. Um, so within the United States, for example, there's, you know, 
about like 70 million people with sleep disorders. And there's probably many, many more who have undiagnosed sleep disorders that don't even know that, that they have this. Yeah. Um, and so it's certainly worth um, getting that checked out if you feel like you have more going on. We kind of know, but don't want to know. Um, exactly. Yeah. And actually, we see a lot of doctors don't even necessarily ask about it sometimes <laughs> because um, it's such a common complaint. And sometimes they don't necessarily know what recommendations to give or it's really hard um, to get assessments for, for sleep um, just due to wait times. But it's certainly something to you know advocate for yourself if you feel like you have some some underlying sleep issues. Yeah. Our, our habits are among the hardest things to change. Uh, Dr. Kara Palmer, again, assistant psychology professor, Montana State University, a director of Sleep and Development Lab and the co-director of the MSU Sleep Research Lab. Look it up. Lots of good stuff in there. And I would love to have you come on back, Doctor Dr. Palmer. I would love that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the work. Appreciate that. It was a fun conversation. Have a good weekend. And and go Grizz, right? <laughs> go Grizz. Ah! Oh, oh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll edit that out for you, okay? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you bet. All right. Nice. Thank you, Kara. Have a good weekend, all right? Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. And join us daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. for more Voices of Montana, a live issue-oriented talk show heard daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on local stations all across Montana.